Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. So glad that you could be with us today. As Elliot said, we're going to wrap up the series called Reset that we started at the beginning of this year. And the reason we're talking about Reset is COVID has been kind of like a, a giant thumb that's pressed down on the power button of our daily lives, shutting down and altering all aspects of life this past year. But I think much like um, a piece of technology is turned off, powered off, and then powered back on again to reset it, that this experience we've been going through represents a tremendous opportunity for us to reset our lives. And so we've been talking about that. There's a chance for us to emerge from this as different people with a better view of our past, with an understanding of how to deal with the guilt and the bitterness that often is attached to us like a chain as we move into the future. We have a chance to have a clear understanding of how to reset our minds and, and how to distinguish what's true from all of the different ideas that are out there and that are not true. We have the chance to regain uh, our focus and our understanding of how valuable people really are and what really matters both now and for eternity. So, as we've been talking about in this series, COVID represents a tremendous opportunity for us to grow. But this is an opportunity, and like any opportunity, it can, it can pass us by and us not take advantage of it. We can nod our head in agreement with the reset opportunities that we've been talking about these last several weeks, and nothing substantially will change in our lives. There is one decision that will turn this tremendous opportunity into growth. And that is the decision to make a commitment. Not just any commitment, but there's one commitment in particular that will turn this opportunity into growth for us. And that is the commitment to attach our life to Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus himself in John chapter 15 used an analogy to explain how essential and how important a commitment to him is. And we're going to be looking at some of what he said in John 15 this morning. Here's what he says in verse 5 of John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing's going to change. You're not going to grow. There's going to be no fruit that will come out of your life. So a branch obviously cannot produce fruit simply by being close to the vine or the tree or by brushing up against the vine or the tree. A branch must be attached over a long period of time. That requires commitment, that attachment. And this commitment to Jesus Christ that he's talking about has both a personal and a community component to it. It's kind of two sides to this attachment. As a branch, as an individual person, we attach our lives to Jesus Christ when we decide to make that lifelong commitment to accept his forgiveness and follow him as our Lord. And that is a personal decision that no one else can make for us. But it's not just us and Jesus then going off into the world all by ourselves. We are one of many branches. You'll notice in this verse, Jesus uses the word plural. He's talking not just to one person or individuals, he's talking to groups of people who will make this decision that are now clustered together and grow like branches do in groups, not just all by themselves, not just a single branch attached to the vine, but in clusters. And that's how growth occurs, and that's how fruit 
the fruit of change occurs over time. And we do this in close proximity to each other. So while the power to grow, the power to change, the power to produce fruit that lasts in our life comes from the vine. It comes from Jesus Christ. Our growth, though, finds its structure and its support by being clustered as one of many branches together. Now, Jesus made it really clear in the New Testament that these clusters are to take place in an entity he called the church. That's how we cluster together. That's how we group together to grow. So the question then is, I know I think how to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, but how do I make a commitment to a particular church? There's not a lot said in the New Testament about how to do that. A lot said about how to follow Jesus Christ and what that commitment looks like, but a commitment to a church, there's not as much said about that. And part of the reason is because when the church first started and the New Testament was written, for the first three centuries of the church's existence, it was illegal to be a follower of Jesus Christ in most parts of the world. And it was, therefore, a risky thing to gather as a church. So whenever the church would gather, you, it never occurred to anyone to think, I wonder how many of these people are really committed to this. Because everyone who was gathering was risking their lives simply to gather. But that's not the case for us now. And so in a gathering like this, both online and here, people are showing up or checking us out for all kinds of different reasons. Some are just curious about what's going on in this church and what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we are grateful for those that are seeking and those that are curious. And we love to help in any way that we can. That's one of the ways that we try to communicate and organize things so people really can get help who are just trying to check this out. Some people are just passing through. They're here just for a period of time, and then they're going to move on to something else. And again, if there's any way we can help those people, we love to help those that are passing through. But there are some who have decided to follow Jesus, and they really want to grow. They want to do it now, and they want to do it here. And for those individuals, it is both helpful and important for them to nail down their commitment to a specific local church, a specific cluster of branches attached to the vine. So that's why here at Seabreeze, we invite those who want to make a commitment to do so, to let us know of their commitment to this local cluster of branches. And I'm going to talk more about specifically how we allow people to do that, invite people to do that in a little bit. But I want to start out, first of all, by addressing the question of why. Why should an individual Christian make a commitment to a particular local church like this one? That's a question that an increasing number of Christians I find wondering, and why do I really need to do this? And so we're going to look at the three reasons that Jesus talks about in this list of verses and descriptions he gives in John chapter 15. There are three reasons why we are to commit, not just to Jesus, but to a cluster of branches that are attached to Jesus. Reason number one is this. We grow dependently, not independently. In other words, we need the help of other people to grow. God has designed us in such a way that as much as we need Jesus, we also need the help of other people. We grow dependently, not independently. One of the blessings for me of being a grandparent is that you get to see your grandkids grow up without the pressure and without the pace of being a parent. 
So I find myself regularly noticing things that I think, I'm sure that my kids were doing this, were like this, but I just don't really remember this because it was crazy time when you're a parent. But now you're a grandparent and you get a chance to really observe some things you don't normally get to see in the pressure of being a parent. And I'll have to say, watching my five grandkids grow up, one of the things that I've been struck by is how much, how many incredible number of things they have to be taught in order to grow up. Over and over again, I'm seeing them do something, and I'm realizing, that's right. You have to teach kids how to do that. They don't know how to eat. You have to teach them how to eat. They don't know how to pick up a fork. You have to teach them how to do that. They don't know how to talk. They don't know what this word means or that word means. You, you have to let them know what thousands and thousands of words mean. They don't know how to dress themselves. You have to teach them how to do that. They have to be potty trained. That's an adventure. They don't learn that all by themselves. And that's just a few of the basic life skills that children need to learn as they're growing up. But if you add in the more subtle and important things that they need to be trained, things like how do you handle conflict? Siblings are great for that training ground. Or how do you discern who is worthy of your trust and who is a dangerous person that you shouldn't trust? Those are just a few of the more subtle but important life skills that need to be taught. And so as you add these, it just it mushrooms into the thousands of things that children need to learn in order to grow. And this is why God put children in families. It takes years of consistent, loving investment for children to grow. It's just very clear that we were never designed to grow on our own. We grow dependently. We need others to help us to grow. We don't grow independently all by ourselves. Now, that remains true whether you're one or whether you're 61, like I am. We need others to help us grow. But we live in a, a time in our culture of personal autonomy. When the focus is on the power of the individual and the rights of the individual and the fact that an individual should be able to bend the future to his or her will. And so when it comes to relationship with God matters and spiritual growth, we are affected by that as Christians also. And we tend to think that our spiritual growth is mostly, if not entirely, a personal thing. And so many followers of Jesus Christ increasingly have the thought that they don't really need a church to grow in their relationship with Jesus. They don't need a church with all of its incursions on their schedule and all of its problems that can occur, of course, whenever any group of people gather. And the thought is, all that we need to do as followers of Jesus Christ to grow is just to decide to grow and then put in the effort, work hard enough, and if we do that, we will grow. But God made us to be a dependent kind of life form, not an independent kind of life form. This is true on every, every level for us. In verse 4 of John 15, Jesus says this, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So he's using the analogy of a branch to explain the kind of spiritual growth that's required. Every life form is dependent. Plant life is dependent. That's part of the analogy that Jesus is building here. Branches can't just grow fruit lying all by themselves on the ground. Animal life is the same way. Like plant life, animal life is dependent in some different ways, but it's also dependent. Animal life is dependent on the right environment and certain kinds of foods. 
For example, bears cannot survive in the desert because the food that they are dependent on does not grow in the desert. And the temperatures and the climate that they have been designed to operate in does not survive in the desert. Conversely, scorpions don't do very well in Alaska where bears do well. It's a different environment that they're dependent on. So every kind of life is dependent on something. It's not dependent, independent, rather. It needs some help. And as people, as human beings, we have two kinds of life that are woven together. We are body and soul. We have a physical life, and we have a spiritual life. And as such, our bodies are dependent on this planet for our survival. And our souls are dependent on God, the one in whose image we've been created for our survival. But it's our sin, our decision to be independent from God that has put a distance between us and Him and separated us. And we now find ourselves, our souls, in a spiritually hostile environment. So in a sense, spiritually, we're kind of like bears wandering through the desert or branches withering on the ground. We need to be reattached to God. And so God established a way for us to reattach and reconnect with Him and for the life that our souls need to begin to flow from God to us again. He sent His Son to be the way that we can reattach to Him. And so when we decide to follow Jesus Christ, this attachment is formed. But Jesus is not like picking up a water bottle and carrying it with us into the desert as we just keep going off on our own way. Now, the way it works is Jesus is more like the leader of a moving caravan of followers who are traveling through the desert, the spiritual desert of this life, this sinful world. And as we move through this desert as a caravan, following Jesus Christ together, we are continually inviting more people to invite, to be a part of, and we're inviting them to be a part of this caravan and, and drink of the living water that Jesus himself provides for us. Now, this caravan is called the church. And this is the environment where God grows us and where God changes us. So that's the first reason. The reason, number one, is we do not grow independently. We grow dependently. The second reason is we grow by connection, not intention. This follows from the first reason. The reason we grow is only because we're dependent, and therefore connection is critical to our growth, not the intention to grow. That doesn't really change us much. It's the actual connection that changes us. Here's what Jesus says in verse 6 of John 15. If anyone does not remain in me, and I've highlighted that word because that word remain is repeated over and over again in what Jesus is saying in John 15. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. We've got a lemon tree in the backyard of our house, and that lemon tree has really not done well for years. Every once in a while, it produces a single lemon, sometimes two lemons. And we really don't know why. I haven't taken the time to really research it, but for some strange reason, this year, all of a sudden, all kinds of lemons. Again, I'm not an arborist, so I don't understand all of them. I'm sure someone could explain it to me. But I, I do know that there's no way that would have happened if any of the branches had become separate, separate from the trunk of that tree. There's no way lemons could ever be produced. I don't know why it took so long, but I know that the branches being attached to the trunk of that tree 
were an essential part of what happened this year in all the lemons growing. It takes time sometimes for growth to occur. It takes time for change, the kind of change that Jesus wants to bring in our life. It just takes time. It's not a push the reset button in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, ta-da, you are suddenly a different and amazing person, and everyone notices that difference from a Monday to a Tuesday. It's not that kind of thing, usually. There can be moments of significant change, but usually it's a it's like growing lemons on a tree. It's, it's a long process. And sometimes you look at the tree and you wonder, is growth happening? But slowly, over time, God changes us as we attach, as we remain in him. So the, ref- the fruit of growth requires repeated action in line with our commitment to Jesus over time. Not just a single decision. It's one decision backed up by thousands of decisions in that direction. Before his death, Jesus warned his followers that when the soldiers came to arrest him, they would all betray him. Peter looked around and kind of understood why Jesus had questions about some of the disciples, but he was certain he would not be one of those that would betray him. And so in Matthew 26, verse 35, we read this, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Well, most of you probably know the story. Before dawn, Peter strongly denied knowing Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. This is exactly what Jesus had said when Peter had committed to not denying him. So the question is this, had Peter been insincere about his commitment to Jesus Christ? I don't think so. He'd spent the better part of three years following him. I think he was serious about following Jesus Christ. And I believe that when Jesus warned them of what was coming and that they would betray him, I think Peter steeled his will and said, I'm willing to die rather than betray you. I think that's really what he wanted to do. But the problem is Peter had wrongly assumed that his intense desire and the emotions he felt behind it would be enough to carry the day to bring about his intended desire. And the fact that Peter didn't realize and that we often don't realize is that from the moment they are made, every single commitment, whether it's Jesus Christ or something else, every commitment we make from the moment we make it begins to die and decay. It doesn't die suddenly, but it begins to slowly erode from the moment it's made. And Jesus had warned Peter about this decay. But Peter was confident. It wasn't until after Peter's strong intention had utterly failed that Peter was finally ready to listen to what Jesus had to say and his instruction about how real change occurs and how you back up commitments. And it was after the death and then the resurrection of Jesus that we see an interesting interaction between Peter and Jesus on this matter. So this story of threes doesn't end with Peter's three denials. After the resurrection of Jesus, Peter goes back to what he was doing before. Probably doesn't really know what else to do, so he goes back to fishing. One morning, Jesus appears on the shore. After they, they have been in, Peter and a few of the disciples have been fishing, and they, they come in, and Jesus 
appears on the shore and invites Peter and the disciples to join him for breakfast. Now, let me just paint the scene as I think it must have been. Just imagine the awkward silence between Peter and Jesus. I mean, they'd seen each other, but there's no evidence that there had been any conversation about that denial moment. And really, all the disciples had denied Jesus. So just imagine this awkward breakfast. I mean, Peter's got to be feeling horrible. They've all got to be feeling horrible about the whole denying Jesus three times thing. And even though, if you read about Peter, Peter always seems to have something to say, but there's, there's no evidence that he's saying anything now. He's at a loss for words. So Jesus breaks the silence by bringing up the elephant in the room, or the elephant on the beach, as this case was. And this is what we read in John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, that cracks me up. So an awkward meal of silence, I think, is what was going on. Once they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Can you just imagine that statement coming out of after a breakfast? Well, there it was. Finally, it's out in the open, the big question. The question that had been lingering in the background since the resurrection was finally going to be talked about. It was finally brought up. Until now, apparently, the time had never really been right to bring up this denial thing. I mean, everyone, it's understandable, everyone had been shocked at the resurrection of Jesus and had been celebrating and ecstatic, and Jesus was kind of coming and going and making appearances so that the evidence of his resurrection would would forever be a record of history. And so this, this conversation hadn't happened yet. And I imagine Peter had been waiting for this moment. And so he blurts out his response immediately. The next statement in verse 15, we read this. Yes, Lord, he said, Peter says, you know that I love you. You know this, Jesus. I've seen you read the thoughts and the hearts of other people, so you've got to know what's in my heart. I don't know why I denied you, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm committed to you and I love you. You know that I love you. So what would Jesus say in response to this? The question's been asked that's been lingering. The statement in response has been strongly said. So what would Jesus say? Would he just look up and smile and say, Peter, I know. I know that you love me. I know that. No, what Jesus says is this. The next statement in, in verse 15, Jesus said, Feed my lambs. One of the enjoyable things for me in reading the New Testament is how whatever Jesus says is almost not what you would expect. And this is one of those examples. Feed my lambs. What's he talking about? What does he mean? That's not at all what Peter expected to hear. And to make matters even a little bit more bizarre, Jesus repeats himself two more times. You can go on and read it yourself, but basically he goes on and says, so Peter, do you truly love me? That's the second time he asked this. And Peter says, yes, for the second time. And then Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Pretty much the same thing as feed my lambs. And then he asks Peter for the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter once again says, Jesus, you know that I do. And Jesus again says, feed my sheep. So there's another set of three now to match the three denials. 
That's part of what Jesus is doing here, is redeeming the denials. But there's more going on than just a matching set of threes. Three declarations of love to match the three declarations of, I don't know who Jesus is. What is Jesus saying in this feed my lambs thing? Well, on the night that Peter betrayed Jesus, he thought that he loved Jesus more than any of the other disciples. That's why Jesus starts out in this saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? All these guys sitting around the breakfast fire, you, you still love me more than them? And so Peter had thought that his commitment was stronger than anyone else's. And so that night, Jesus had told Peter and two others to come with him to watch and to pray. But instead of watching and praying, they had slept. Been a long day, so they didn't watch, they didn't pray, they just fell asleep. So now again, Peter is stating his commitment very strongly, just like he did on the night of Jesus' arrest. And Jesus' point, I think, is this. Peter, I gave you an opportunity to back it up last time with action, and you didn't take it. You didn't watch, you didn't pray, you fell asleep. This time, Peter, back it up with some action. What action? Feed my lambs. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, you're not an individual Christian. You are part of a flock of sheep of whom I am the shepherd. And you need to help them, and you need to love them. And in the process, you will be helping yourself avoid a repeat of that spectacularly embarrassing denial of me. You see, it's one thing to say sincerely that you will put God first in this new year. But God knows the talk is cheap. He knows that what really grows us is repeated action, not strong intention. That's what really marks commitment, is repeated action, not strongly stated commitments. And that's why a commitment to Jesus Christ needs to be renewed. This is one of the reasons why we invite everyone who is a member of this church to renew their commitment to Jesus Christ in this particular church every year. If you've been a part of the church in the past, you know this. Most years, we renew our commitment together by checking a box on the back or on the front of a connection card on a Sunday like this. But this year, in light of everything that's happened, we wanted to make the process more relational than that. And so for everyone who wants to make a membership commitment to be a part of this team in this year, we are asking you to attend one of the small gatherings in February, in just a few weeks, well, actually starting next week and for three weekends. And in those meetings, I'm going to be going over the, the vision of the church what we're trying to accomplish, and how you can play a critical role in being a part of this church. There's going to be seven in-person groups that we'll be meeting outside here on campus over the next three weekends. And you can sign up for one of these. You'll notice probably already the cards and the chairs that were there just as a list of the days and the times of those gatherings. And you can let us know which, which ones might work for you. If you're watching online, you can, one of the options in the program today 
is to sign up for one of these groups. If you want to go home and sign up online, you can do that as well. Now, he's going to say a little bit more about this as, he, as we wrap up today. But whether you're brand new to Seabreeze or whether you've been around for decades and you want to make this commitment, renew it or make it for the first time, we are asking everyone to be a part of one of these groups. And the reason is that in a year that's been so difficult and so isolating, it's so hard to know how everyone is really doing, we want to do this in person. So that's why we're doing this over the next three weekends. The third reason why a commitment to Jesus and a commitment to a local church is so important is because we grow by saying no. This is surprising to us. We grow by saying no. In verse 2 of John 15, Jesus says this, Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It will grow even more. We usually don't break a commitment in a single moment. What happens is we allow other things to grow into our life. And those things end up taking more and more time and more and more energy and more and more focus away from the commitment that we've made. And then slowly... And often, imperceptibly, the commitment begins to weaken, and then suddenly it breaks. And sometimes the moment of break is a catastrophic event, and the focus goes on that event, and what most people don't realize is that break was coming for some time now. It just happened on this day. But it, it, was, it was arriving. And this is why our commitment to Christ, like... Every branch needs to be pruned regularly in order for it to remain strong, in order for it to grow good fruit. And we prune something by saying no to it. We remove it from our lives. We say no to it. Now, we tend to think of commitment primarily as a yes. Yes, I will do this. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll be there at that time. I'll help you with this. I've made a commitment. Yes. But behind every yes is usually a no, and sometimes several no's. In order to do yes, I'm also not going to do that. And in many ways, it's the no that tends to determine whether the yes is really going to happen or not. My wedding vows, almost 36 years ago, were mostly yeses. Yes is to my future wife. But there was one no, and the no was this, forsaking all others. That was the no. I was saying yes to her, but in order for that yes to really mean something, I was saying no to all the other women. I was saying a marriage yes and a marriage no. And if I don't honor that no, then all the yeses don't matter. You see, a commitment is protected by its no's. So when it comes to a commitment to Jesus Christ and a commitment to his body, the church, what do we have to say no to 
in order to honor this commitment? Well, we have to say no to whatever God says no to. We have to say no to sin. Now, none of us are perfect. We all struggle with sin. And that, of course, is not a requirement in order to follow Jesus and commit to him and his body of the church. But it is not right to state a commitment to Jesus Christ while we are living in opposition to what he says. It's not right to say yes to Jesus with one hand and no to Jesus with the other. That's not a commitment. Many in the early church in Corinth were living in sexual immorality. And their claim was, it's no big deal. God loves us. He forgives us. What we do in this area is no problem. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to them to say that that is not correct. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ, Paul says. The church is called the bride of Christ in the New Testament. That's because a commitment to Jesus Christ is very much like a marriage commitment. It's exclusive. It's a yes that comes with some no's. That's why jealousy is appropriate when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, just like it's appropriate when it comes to my relationship with my wife. Jealousy is not appropriate in some relationships, but in marriage, it's appropriate because it's an exclusive relationship. Marriage is a one husband, one wife kind of commitment. It's not a two or three or four husband and wife kind of commitment. It's exclusive. And so, as a pastor, it would be wrong for me to perform a wedding ceremony for someone who's married to somebody else. In the same way, it would not be right for you to say yes to Jesus and commit to his bride, the church, when you're committed to something Jesus says no to. Now, if you're not ready to say no to what Jesus says no to, you're still welcome here. In fact, we love to help anyone who's wanting to know more about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And even if you're not in agreement with what the Bible teaches on some areas of life, you are welcome to gather with us and to be here on Sundays and to be a part of what we're doing. Everyone is welcome here. But if you want to join the team and carry out some of the roles that are essential to be a part of the team, you need to be willing to say no to what God says no to. Not like marriage. None of us do it perfectly. But we are serious about the yeses, and we are serious about the noes. Now, of course, you don't have to commit to this church or really any church. It's your decision. But I will say this. If you don't join God's caravan, his great caravan led by Jesus Christ moving across the desert, you are traveling across the desert of this world without access to the living water that your soul desperately needs. So we would love to have you join this part of that great caravan, the church. Let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for the great opportunities that you've given us in this season to evaluate our lives, to get a glimpse of what really is important. And we conclude this, this look at these opportunities by recognizing that none of the opportunities will really turn into change and growth for us without your power, Jesus Christ, without your mercy and without your grace to grow us. And I pray that you would speak to us individually about the nature of our commitment to you and about where you want us to commit to your body, the church. We thank you for what you're doing among us. And we just pray for your protection and your guidance and your provision as we, this great caravan of history, move across the desert of this world. We pray this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.